Uh, today is the third Sunday of the month, and we set that aside as our all-in Sunday. And if you've been a part of New Life, you know that all-in is the title of our, our uh, vision campaign for the future, for our building project. We, this is not our permanent home. We're here temporarily. We're believing that God is uh, moving us to build a new, uh, a new building for our church. Uh, a little over a year ago, we stepped out of a smaller building just south of here because we had outgrown that. And we took a step of faith in moving here, and we're believing God for the next step, which is to break ground on some property that we own across the road here. And, um, and so on the third Sunday of the month, we give people an opportunity to give toward that new building. And, um, and we also are asking for prayer. A couple months ago, we began just saying, hey, not only just in your giving, but in your prayer for this, for wisdom and for, for direction. There's several different options and directions that the board has been weighing. And we covet your prayers in this. It's our desire to be in a new building next year, if at all possible. And so we'd like for you to pray for us with that. And we we need to sell a portion of the property that we own, we own 35 acres. um, And uh, and that will help us to fund the building and um, and, uh, to move forward with the next step of that process. And so we're praying for all these different things. There's kind of a lot of different parts of that. If you'd like more information on that, you can come see us. We'd love to give that to you. And also, if you want some more direction on how to pray, Sonia Buescher has volunteered to kind of be the, uh, the all-in prayer campaign leader for that. She's going to put together some different prayer guides and some different things for you so that uh, you can know specifically how to pray and keep you updated as well as we're working on a portion of our website. That'll be an update on the financial aspect, the building process, the prayer needs that we have for the new building. And so you'll be seeing that here in the next month as well on our website, an all-in update uh, section on there. So we'd love for you to do that. If you're not already praying and and giving toward it, we'd love for you to begin to do that. So many of you have been praying. You have been giving toward that. We were able to move a portion of our funds uh, into an investment account. We're getting a really good interest rate on that. And so it's not just sitting around waiting. It is growing. And and, uh, as a result of your giving, multiplying to help us meet those needs as well. But we threw out a challenge. We'd love for you to commit to praying 30 minutes a week and giving $30 a month if you're not giving already. Some of you are already exceeding that, and thank you so much for doing that. We appreciate your generosity and your support. Uh, in addition to all that you give already toward, toward our church, uh, it's our, our desire not just to be a silo for receiving, but for giving out. And we talked about it. We want to be a church that gives more to our community than we ask from our community. And because of your generosity and giving, we're able to do that. Because of your generosity and giving, we're able to do things like mega sports camp for our community and bless uh, the next generation as well. And so thank you so much for all the different ways that you give. I want us to pray uh, over our offering this morning. God, we thank you. <clears throat> As we've sung about and we've prayed this morning already that you're a God of the supernatural. You're a provider, God, not only on the finances of these, your people, but also for your church. So, Lord, we pray today for open doors. We pray for finances. We pray for favor in every step for the building process of this church. We pray a blessing on those who would give and we pray a blessing on those who are in need today, God. Lord, I pray that as we put you first in every area of our lives, as we put you first in our finances and in our giving God, that we would see increase, that you would give jobs and better jobs. You would give rebates and refunds and unexpected blessings, checks in the mail. Lord, you provide in in creative ways. You're a creative God. And so, Lord, would you move and, Lord, would we be reminded that it's you who is our provider in every area of our lives. And we thank you for it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to thank you for your giving today. There's several different ways that you can do that. We're not passing a, an offering plate, but there are some drop boxes in the back. And there's some ways to give online there as well. Uh, as well as if you like to mail things in or do bill pay, you can do that as well. So there's some options for you uh, in terms of your giving today. We've been in a series called InstaFam, and it's about this idea of snapshots of a real-life family, right? A family without filters, not the one that we always project out there for the world to see, but how it is when we get home on, uh, on a regular day. And uh, we've talked, uh, this is our sixth part of our series. We've talked about a lot of different things. Last week, we had our mega sports camp team here. But before that, we talked about living on mission. We've talked about dealing with conflict and, and declaring for your family that is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And today, I want to talk to you about something that our families face. And it's a challenge that every parent in the room has had to respond to. If you're not a parent today, it still applies to you because at some point a parent has told this to you. Uh, not only that, but every one of us wrestles with this challenge and this struggle of everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it, right? How many times have you heard that excuse as a parent, but so-and-so gets to do it, everybody's doing it, everyone in my school is doing it, and we, we have to, to face that. Every kid at some point or another, by way of justification for doing something, has told their parent, Everyone else is doing it. But see, us parents are taught in the school of parenting the standard response for that. So every parent in the room at some point or another has come back with a response. Well, if everybody jumps off a cliff, are you going to do that too? Right? And some of us have smart aleck kids that respond with, yes, I would, if everybody else is doing it. It's somewhat humorous, but what isn't really humorous is that when we don't get the everybody's doing it excuse out of our system as kids, we continue to allow this to excuse and justify actions and behaviors in our life as we grow and mature. And we should grow and mature beyond a place where we feel like just because everybody's doing it, it's a good idea. I wish that it was just children and students that gave that excuse. Unfortunately, people use this all throughout life to justify their actions and behavior. Well, telling a little lie isn't really bad if nobody gets hurt and everybody does that. Well, I know the Bible says that sex outside of my marriage relationship is not God's plan, but I mean, look around. Lots of people do that. I mean, is cheating on your taxes really that big of a sin? It's kind of more like a game, right? They want to get all they can get from you and I want to keep all that I can keep so I see how much I can keep and everybody does that. I mean, allowing garbage and filth into my mind and eventually into my heart through what I watch and what I listen to and what's on my TV screen and my computer screen and the things that I watch. Well, everybody watches that stuff. There's many, many other examples that I could give today of stupid mistakes that people make, wrong choices that were justified because everybody's doing it. In fact, there's people here today, not speaking out of knowledge, just the sheer number of people that are here there's people here today that are likely justifying something in life right now that just a few years ago you would have never done. And now you're telling yourself it's okay because everybody's doing it. Does the fact that everybody's doing it make it acceptable? Does the fact that everybody's doing it make it not a sin? And you know today in your heart of hearts that it doesn't. What happens when we do that is that we're allowing the world around us, the culture, the experiences, 
the influence to redefine right and wrong. People have always tended to formulate their theology based on their experiences instead of on God's word. But God's word doesn't change based on human experience, preference, or opinion. Sin is always sin. Wrong is always wrong, no matter what everybody else is doing. But over time, we come to accept these things in our lives, not because the Bible has changed, but because everybody is doing it. This doesn't mean that as Christ followers, we don't love tolerate people in our lives who sin. That somehow we would discriminate against sinners. Every person in this room is a sinner. Hopefully we're sinners saved by grace. The sin that we need to focus on the most is really the sin in our own lives. That's what we're going to stand before God for is that sin that we've allowed and we've, we've excused and we've justified in our lives. People around us are going to sin. It's a sinful fallen world. That really shouldn't shock us. The Bible tells us that without Christ, sin reigns inside of us. It masters us until someone knows the love of God and surrenders their life to him. That's that's not going to come to a place where where they're going to feel even bad about sin. They're going to justify like everybody else does. Why not do what everybody else is doing? So we don't have to legislate people into a set of religious rules. We need to love them into a relationship with God. We need to pray them into a relationship with God. We need to set an example of a life that isn't like the things that everybody else is doing. That should be our priority. The story of Daniel and Daniel chapter one, which is where we're going to be today. It shows us an incredible example of a group of people who chose not to do what everybody else is doing. And I want to set up this story before, for you before we turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed the kingdom of Judah. He's destroyed Jerusalem. He took the best and the brightest young men of Judah. And all together, they joined them with, with people from kingdoms that they had conquered. They brought them back to, to King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom in Babylon. And they were all kept in the same place. They did the same things. They ate the same food. They were taught the same things. Nebuchadnezzar was watching to see among these young men who would be the best and the brightest. He wanted the ones that would rise to the top. It was really kind of like a a reality TV series before the TV was invented. This is like Survivor Babylon edition. Let's bring in all these captives. Let's bring in the best of the brightest. Let's see who rises to the top and then we'll put them in a place of leadership over these captive kingdoms. These stakes were high. The, the prize was a high position working for the king and leading the captive kingdoms. You'd be a part of the leadership of one of the greatest kingdoms in the world. Not only did that come with prestige and money and power, but you could also provide a level of protection to your people who are now captives in this new kingdom. So there was, there was a lot on the line. And on the other side, what was on the line was with, this was a pretty crazy mad king. And if you displeased the king, if you crossed him, if you disobeyed his instructions, if you angered him, he would kill you. It's not a contest that you want to lose. So these captives, they stayed in the palace and they were fed gourmet meals from the king's table. But this presented a challenge for Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It wasn't a challenge because the food wasn't good. It wasn't a challenge because it was terrible. It it wasn't any of that. It was wonderful. But the Hebrews had a strict set of rules of what they could eat and what they had to avoid. And the food from the king's table that they were being offered was in direct violation of the guidelines that was given by God. 
And this wasn't coincidental. The king knew what they were allowed to eat. He wanted to break them down. He wanted to, to, to cause them to violate their traditions, their beliefs, their morals, so that he could become the object of their worship and their God. All these captives were treated the same. The table was set in front of them. The food was there that they were not supposed to eat. It looked good. It smelled good. But it was sin to them. Before you know it, everybody was eating it. What were they supposed to do? God didn't want them to starve. Surely he didn't want them to be put to death. All the other captives were eating it. In order to win, they had to eat and be strong. Everybody else was doing it. Now, I want to stop and tell you for a minute that the moral of the story is not about the Old Testament guidelines of of dietary restrictions on food. We aren't in the Old Testament. We're not under that law. But don't miss the actual point of what's going on in this story. The point that uh, the universal principle that applies to our lives from this story. And that is that there's times when God's instructions and commands are at conflict with what's going on in the world around us. And the principle is not that we have to Uh, adhere to the Old Testament guidelines of diet, but the principle is that we have to choose to stand for what we believe or choose that we're going to just go along with what everybody else is doing. What's right is right. What's wrong is wrong, regardless of how many people do it. So from this story, we learn how to respond when everybody else is doing it and how God responds when we choose to stand for what's right and obey him. In your Bibles, in Daniel chapter 1, Verse 8, it says this, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food that was given to him by the king. The dictionary definition of the word determined is to make a firm decision. Daniel decided, he decided, I know what God has told me. I know what's right. I don't care what everybody else is doing. I'm making a firm decision To obey God. So how do we respond when everyone else is doing it? We have to determine and be firm in our decision. Determine and be firm in our decision. There was a lot at stake for Daniel and his friends. But he was less concerned about the consequences from displeasing man than he was of the consequences of disobeying God. He understood what the consequences were for disobeying the king. He understood what would happen if he didn't rise to the top. But he was more concerned about a heavenly king, an eternal king, than an earthly one. This is not the last time that we would see Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego determine that despite the consequences, they would obey God. Some of you are familiar with the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel would rather face the lions than to disobey God, than to to not spend the time with God. The, the The three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they chose they would not bow and worship the image of the king. And they were thrown into a fiery furnace. Those are pretty popular stories. But this is where they initially determined and made their firm decision. We're going to stand for what God wants us to do regardless of what everybody else is doing. It was a principle that governed their entire lives. These guys had determined and they were firm in the decision. It didn't matter what others were doing. It didn't matter the consequences for not doing it. And a big thing that makes the difference is to decide before you're faced with the decision. Decide right now that you're going to follow truth. Follow God's commands and stand for what's right. You're not going to decide in the moment of temptation. You're not going to decide when you're faced with it if you haven't already made the decision in your mind. If you've not already made your mind to not cheat on your spouse, then when the opportunity arises, you're not going to all of a sudden get some kind of strong moral conviction about it. Either that conviction was there and you're firm in your decision or you're likely going to give in to that temptation. So decide right now, I'm never going to have an affair. I'm never going to cheat on my spouse. 
Don't say, well, there's no need for me to do that. There's, there's not any prospective person. There's nobody on the horizon. Well, great. That's the perfect time for you to make that decision. Determine right now, I'm not going to have sex outside my marriage. I'm not going to even entertain the thought. I'm not even going to allow my mind to wander to that place. Make the decision before you're faced with the decision. These are conversations that you need to have with your kids and with your students on an age-appropriate level. You may think, well, they're not even engaged in sexual kind of activity. Well, that's great. That's the perfect time to have the conversation because once they're engaged in it, it's too late. And if you have kids in middle school and high school and you think that they aren't hearing about sexual things, then your head is in the sand. Do you want to be the one to teach your son and your daughter about what sex is and how it's supposed to work and to teach modesty and purity along with that? Or are you going to allow a sixth grader to be the one that tells them everything that they've learned from their friends? Determine right now, I'm not going to be a gossip and I'm not going to listen to gossip. Well, Pastor Matt, no one ever tells me anything. Well, that's great. That's a great place for you to make up your mind and to make a firm decision that when it happens, your mind's already made up and you're not going to engage in somebody else's dysfunction and tear people down through loose words and rumors and half-truths. Decide now. Determine right now, I'm not going to be a slave to addictive substances. I'm not going to allow them to pollute my body and be, be in control of, of my choices, my actions, and the attitudes. Make a decision. I'm not going to live a life of excess and eating or drinking or anything for that matter, whether it be video games or shopping or whatever else may be out of control and out of balance in your life. Make a decision now that those things are not going to master you. We've got to come to a place where we decide before we're faced with the decision. We see here Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego making this decision that they're not going to eat the king's food. But I guarantee you that decision was made long before they were faced with the need to make that decision. I could go on and on about all kinds of different areas. But it's time to decide right now. It's time for people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ to start acting like it. Instead of every decision being based on what everybody else is doing. And tolerates what's going on around them just because that's what our world and what our culture accepts. You don't have to be like everybody else. You weren't created to be like everyone else. Followers of Jesus should look and act different than people that are around them. Make a firm decision right now that when the moment of decision comes, that you're going to act on the decision you've already made. Daniel 1 verse 8, Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for, for, for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Daniel didn't just do these things as an act of rebellion. He asked permission. It was actually an act of humility of him going, the same heart that led Daniel and these three Hebrew friends to the right decision is the same thing that led them to the right attitude in making the decision. Daniel was determined not only to do the right thing in the right way, but he was determined to display the right attitude. One of the proudest moments I had as a youth pastor was when a student came to me and they had been given an assignment that they felt like required them to agree with some theories that they felt were contradictory to their faith. And I want you to know today that science is not the enemy of Christianity there's so many parts of the Bible that are confirmed by science and archaeology and so many different areas, but sometimes there are theories and hypotheses that also require a large amount of faith, maybe equal to or greater than faith that you would have in God to, to believe in these theories. And for this student, they weren't comfortable with an assignment that they felt contradicted their faith. 
So they didn't go to the media. They didn't pick at the school. They didn't have a fight and throw furniture at the school board. The student went to the teacher and explained the situation. She asked if it was possible that while the rest of the class did the, the, the uh, assignment on the unproven theory, if she would do the paper with all the same requirements based on a premise that aligned with her own faith. The teacher was somewhat skeptical that she was just trying to get out of the same work that the other students were having to do, but she told her that it was okay, but she would have to have some good research and that she wouldn't get the benefit of the resources that were given to the other students that pertained to the assignment. She was going to have to come up with her own, but she allowed it to happen. And you may say, now what's really the big deal about that? It's just a school assignment. Why was that such a big concern? I get it. But for this student, it was more than just an assignment. The student learned a valuable lesson about standing for your convictions and also displaying the right attitude at the, at the same time. Sometimes we get mad and we want to fight. We, 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 we're just trying to do the right thing, but we're not doing it with the right attitude. And I get that the world is sometimes really an angry place. I get that people oftentimes are looking for a fight, but let's not be like those people. It's a great area for us to say everybody's doing it, but I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be arrogant in my attitude. I'm going to keep my cool. I'm going to be kind to others. I'm going to display the right attitude and still stand for what's right. Don't give Christianity a bad name because of a hostile attitude. Not everything has to be a war. Not everything has to be a crusade. When you go in arrogant and angry from the get-go, your decision, your good decision even, is overshadowed by a bad attitude. If you're a jerk in the process of doing right, it's not right. If you put other people down in order to do right, that's not right. You don't have to post angry rants every time you take a stand. Just take a stand and let that be enough. You don't have to unfriend every person that disagrees with you. It's like some people didn't get enough out of junior high, and so they go to Facebook to announce that they're still immature. <laughs> I'm going to post this, and if you disagree with me, prepare to be unfriended. Really? You need all of your friends to agree with you 100% in every area of everything you say. I don't have to agree with somebody in order to love them and be kind. I mean, I want to see everything they post, so I may hide that down in my feed. But what everybody else is doing doesn't dictate our behavior. Our words as Christians should be grace-filled. Our hearts should be free of prejudice and hate. Our hands should be open to people that are in need. Our mouths should be filled with words that build up and give life and encourage. That's being different in a world that's really angry and really arrogant. Here's the thing. Most of the time... When you do the right thing with the right attitude, people will respect you for it, even if they don't agree. Do what's right and do it with the right attitude. And don't forget that God works with us. In Daniel 1 verse 9, it says, Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. This isn't coincidence. When you stand for what's right with the right attitude, even when nobody else is, you'll find favor in unexpected places because God is working on your behalf. God blesses us and works with us when we do the right thing with the right attitude. You're never standing alone if you're obeying God because God is with you and he honors you when you obey him. Daniel 1 verse 10, but he responded, I'm afraid, this is the, the chief of staff now speaking, I'm afraid of my Lord the King who's ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to other youths your age, I'm afraid the King will have me beheaded. The problem remained that if this man granted Daniel's request, 
to eat a different diet. And Daniel and his friends didn't look as strong and as healthy as other captives. The king would be unhappy. And this was not a reasonable king. It could mean death for Daniel and his friends, but it could also mean something for this chief of staff if it was found out that he deviated from the plan. It wasn't a metaphor when he said the king would have his head. This king would literally have his head cut off. And he kind of liked his head. It was a risk. Verses 12 and 13, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. This was pretty courageous. To only eat vegetables for 10 days is really courageous. Yikes. Some of us struggle with committing to even eat a vegetable for 10 days, let alone eating only vegetables. Remember, this was before it was popular to be a vegan, so there's no Greek yogurt with like cherry flavoring in there, and there's no, there's no uh, hummus and pita chips at Safeway that they could go get. This was like broccoli and radishes and stuff that should be illegal to eat, like Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and remember, they didn't eat bacon with their Brussels sprouts, and that's about the only way that you can eat it. If you get enough bacon ratio into your Brussels sprouts, then you forget that there's even Brussels sprouts there, and it just tastes like bacon. But that's not what they were doing here. They were just eating the Brussels sprouts. They agreed to eat all the stuff, like the stuff that you feed your kids when you want to punish them. And I'm having fun with this, but this, is, this really was a courageous answer. This, there was boldness involved in this. When you stand for what's right in the right way, God gives you courage. It was also a wise answer. Try it for 10 days and see what happens. This was there was wisdom involved in this. Wisdom is knowing what to say in a difficult circumstance and the ability to see what other people don't see. So God gives us wisdom. God's working on our behalf in those areas. Not only that, but God gives us tenacity. The plan was for them to do it for 10 days and see the results. And if it was successful, they would continue. Sometimes it's hard for us to get a result from our diet because we don't even do it for 10 days. But they were determined they were going to stick with this. God gave Daniel and his friends the tenacity to be determined to accomplish the plan. And God does come alongside and he works on our behalf. When we do the right thing and when we do it in the right way, God works for us. Don't forget that when you take a stand, that God is working and, you, and he will give you what you need. He will give you the courage. He'll give you the boldness. He'll give you the wisdom. He'll give you the tenacity and everything you need to stand for what's right, even when everybody else is doing something else. God's working with you in your life, students, when you choose not to go to the party that everybody else is going to. God's working with you, businessman or woman, when you choose to stay faithful to your marriage while you're away on the business trip. God's working with you when you refuse to entertain gossip, when people bring to you rumors and, and half-truths about other people. God's working with you when you say, everybody else may be doing it, but I don't want to, I don't have to, and I'm determined that I'm not going to live my life that way. God's working with you, and he's working on your behalf. He gives you what you need, and you may get glimpses of it, like when the king's official could, that could lose his head agrees to allow you to take a stand for God's way. Or the teacher allows an assignment that's outside of the normal parameters. Or when things go like they went in the next verse for Daniel. In verse 15, it says at the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier, better nourished than the other young men who'd been eating the food assigned by the king. The plan worked. God honored Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego because they obeyed him. We don't do what everybody else is doing. We aren't giving up anything. Instead, we're gaining a reward and favor from God. You reward your children based on their obedience, don't you? 
Students, you, you want to try this. It works. If you want more money, if you want more privileges, if you want a later curfew, if you want a new phone, if you want more trust from your parents, then obey them. If you want the keys to the car or whatever it is that you want, be trustworthy. This is the magic, magic secret that works with just about every parent. Obey and do the right thing with the right attitude. And the principle is this. Blessing follows obedience. It works with parents and it works with God. God blesses and he honors the obedience in our life. That's why tithing works. Giving God the first 10% of your income is not normal. Not everybody's doing that, but God blesses and honors our obedience in that. That's his pattern. God will bless you when you obey him, just like God blessed Daniel and his friends. We see in verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams when the training period Ordered by the king was completed. The chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in a matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Honoring God always wins. You may not feel like you win every battle, but you're always going to win the war. Refuse to give in to what everyone's doing. Don't let that fly in your family and don't excuse that, that lie in your own life as well. Daniel and his friends got the victory and it may not seem like very much of a victory. They were still captives, but they got a special status with the king and in the kingdom. You and I still live in the world that we live in. It's a fallen world. It's a sinful world. There's temptation all around us. There's people around us that are influences that are not always the the best influences in our lives. But God gives us little victories and he gives us courage to endure the things that life brings our way. Some of you, you found yourself captive to the everybody else is doing it argument. Maybe you've done some stupid things. Maybe you've sinned against God because you wanted to fit in with people that are around you. Instead of doing what's right, you've allowed influences around you to cause you to do wrong. And I know what you're thinking. You're leaning over to your wife. Honey, he's got five minutes left and he's going to tell us a list of things that he thinks we're doing wrong. He's going to tell us a bunch of things that we can't do anymore. He's going to make us get rid of our TV. Here goes the internet. We can't go to the movies. Stop having a drink on the weekend and a whole bunch of other things. He's one of those preachers that's gone mad and he's got a list and he's been setting us up this whole service and now he's going he's to bring it after us. Well, that's not me. And as much fun as that would be, Instead, I want to just ask you, are you letting someone else make decisions for you? Or are you obeying God? Let me ask you another way. Are you currently doing something in your life that you used to would have never done and you believed was wrong? Are you doing something that you used to think was sin? Are you currently excusing behavior that you used to know was wrong? And probably it still is. But you've been sucked into a way of thinking because everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is justifying it. Everybody else is okay with it. I'm not talking about legalistic stuff today. Maybe you grew up in a church where the man-made rules were overboard and it was just kind of crazy and out of balance. I'm not talking about that. But your life should be different from others around you. 
There should be some different morals. There should be some different convictions. There should be some different priorities and different boundaries in your life. Come on, I dare you today to be different. Not in an arrogant way, not in an angry way. We're not going to reach America by being mad or militant or arrogant. We aren't going to shout to people about Jesus, but we can show them Jesus. We aren't going to argue people to Jesus, but we can be an example of who Jesus is. We aren't going to unfriend them and somehow lead them to Jesus. Why not befriend them and lead them to Jesus? Show them a life that's different. I dare you today to be different. God, today, would you just forgive us? Would you forgive us for allowing the changing standards of our culture and our world to define what we stand for? Forgive us for being so concerned about what a sinful fallen world allows, but at the same time, so oblivious to the things in our own lives and our own hearts that aren't right. Forgive us for redefining right and wrong, not based on your word, but based on experiences and influences and social pressure. God, help us not to be afraid to be different. I pray for people that are listening today that have fallen into the trap of pleasing people rather than pleasing you. I pray for our church that we wouldn't get lazy and allow our values to drift, but help us to stand for what's right. Not to point out others who are wrong, but so that we in our own lives can show a different way. We can lead by an example. God, I pray that as we obey you and stand for what's right, that we would do it with the right attitude. Help us to represent your heart well so that people will be drawn to you. Help our lives to accurately reflect the Jesus that we claim to serve. This morning, would you just keep your head bowed for just a moment? Today, if you're here and you say, Pastor Matt, I'm guilty. I've allowed what everybody else is doing to shape what I allow in my own life, and it's caused me to make some poor decisions. It's caused me maybe even to come to the point of sinning against God so that I can fit in with man. I've excused things in my life that I know I should never have allowed. And today I want to make it right before I leave. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you today all across this room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From left to right, there's hands up all over this room. Anybody else? Today I've justified I've excused actions, behavior. I've sinned against God. I've allowed things in my life that don't belong. And today, I want to repent. I want to get right with God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer this morning, everybody in this room, and I'm going to invite you all to pray with me. It's a prayer of confession and repentance before God. It's inviting him or turning him to his rightful place. As the Lord of our lives, I invite you all over this place. Would you, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son for me. Today I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins. Today I confess that Jesus is my Lord. God, I pray that I would honor you in every area of my life. Help me to make a decision before the decision to do what's right. I want to do the right thing in the right way and honor you. Thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you so much for being here and being a part. I challenge you and encourage you as you're living, striving to live your life according to God's word to get plugged in today. If you don't have a church home, we would love for you to connect here at New Life. We've got some connection cards in the baskets that are here. There's a QR code on the screen that you can scan with your phone. If you're looking for a church family, you don't have one, we'd love for you to consider New Life Church. We thank you for worshiping with us today. If New Life's not a great fit, there's a lot of great churches in this community. We'd love to get you plugged in. We'd love to meet you and get to know you. At the conclusion of the service here in just a few minutes, we're going to have a few members of our prayer team. Some of our elders or staff will be right over here on the left side of the stage. And if, if you just committed your life to the Lord today, I realize some of you are already in a right relationship. Others of you, maybe the, for the first time today, are making that decision. But if you'd like someone to talk with you or to pray with you, we'll have a couple people over here on the side of the stage to meet you. We've got some things that we can give you if you'd like to do that. Thank you for, for being here and being a part. I want to ask you to stand. I want to pray a blessing over you. And then Pastor Brian's going to come. He's going to give some final instructions and reminders. If you want to just stretch out your hands or lift your hands, I pray that the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.